and and the couples who can really understand each other's dreams and goals and then work to make sure that both partners get most of what they want right it's impossible that we all get all of what we want but there's there feels like there's a balance that you know you get a shot at most of the things you want and I get a shot at most of the things I want they're the couples that do really well and when couples figure out that stuff then we can layer the practicalities on top then we can worry about childcare. we can worry about logistics finances all that sort of stuff but unless we've figured out those priorities, we cannot crack the practicalities. Welcome to the Lifestyle Edit Podcast, a show about creative female entrepreneurs and the businesses they've built. I'm your host, Naomi Mdudu, the Lifestyle Edit founder, business strategist, and coach to creative female founders ready to scale their businesses with intention. Each week, I sit down with a guest to pull back the curtain on the strategies successful entrepreneurs are implementing to scale their income and increase their impact. We are cutting out the fluff to give you weekly insights to uplevel your mindset and tap into your infinite potential to create a life and business you love on your own terms. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Now let's begin. Jennifer, welcome to the Lifestyle Edit podcast. Thanks for having me on. I am so happy to have you here. I absolutely devoured your book and then kind of went on a scavenger hunt online of like all of the blog posts and content that you've been producing on this topic because no one is just talking about this stuff and not in the way that you are. And selfishly, I've been so excited for this conversation because I feel like I am very much in the thick of a lot of the transitions that you speak about. So I've just had a baby, just got married, become the breadwinner in my family, trying to scale a business while raising a child, just moved into a new home and just... Yeah, Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) All of the above. And sometimes you just sleepwalk into some of these roles and these power dynamics without there being a kind of level of intentionality, um, whether that's you or just in the dynamics of your relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the most common thing I found among my research that so often things happen, you know, life is busy, we're juggling all these balls. And then one day we wake up and think, you know, how did we get here and it's not even that life might be bad per se but we've just set up some dynamics in our relationship in our careers that are not working for us because as you say we've sleep walked into them or we've thought we knew what we were getting into but we hadn't really thought it through fully yeah and even sometimes I hadn't really thought about this until I started reading it in some of your content that so you're, you can be unhappy with certain things that you're doing, realizing that actually society has dictated what you're doing. It's not even that your partner has asked this of you, but just because this is what you've been seeing, you've kind of now taken that on as, 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 as something that you have to do when it's, <laughs> we have a choice in this. Yeah. And I think particularly, you know, in the UK and a lot of Western Europe, we have this idea which of course is false which is we are completely in control of our lives but really social pressure makes a huge difference and I don't mean social pressure as in someone saying you really should do this 
but we watch other people, we see images on the media, we, we watch our parents and we have an idea, for example, of what we should do when we become mothers. Yeah. And we take that on unconsciously, even if it doesn't suit our lives, it's not the kind of mother we want to be, it doesn't <laughs> fit with our careers. You know, we've seen that and we replicate it. And of course, this is how culture works, right? We, we know this. But because we have this strong belief that we're in control, we don't realize it's happening until you know, we're a few years down the line and we can realise the impact it's had on us. 100%. So there's so much that we're going to unpack in, in the book, but I just would love to kind of kick off with giving a bit of context. Like what mm. started you on this journey to do the research that then turned into this book? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's been a long journey because it's been six years of research that's gone into the book. You know, I'm a business school professor and I've always been interested in people's careers and their career transitions and leadership transition. And I was finding increasingly that people would say to me, you know, if you really want to understand my career, my business, um, you, need, you need to understand my partners, right? You can't understand mine in isolation. And of course, being a part of a working couple myself, I knew this in my own in my own mind, it wasn't just that our partners give us support. There's really interaction between our careers. And yet when I looked at the research out there, the books, the journal articles, the ones about careers really treated our careers in isolation as if we had no strings attached, no relationships, we could just make decisions on our own. And the things about relationships were really about work-life balance, like who does the laundry? which, you know, we all want our partners to do some of the laundry, but that's not the issue in our relationships, in our careers. It's really about how do our careers interact and impact each other. And so I thought, you know, if no one's done that research, that's what I'm going to do. And so, you know, hence this big research project, which culminated in the book. It's funny because you're right. They, the, the, those professional the professional side and then the relationship dynamic has very much been siloed in a lot of the discourse. I think the first time when I really saw someone tackling it head on was Sheryl Sandberg in her book Lean In and it was, yeah. very, it was very controversial at the time. She said that the one of the, the most important decisions you make for your career is the person that you marry. And I completely agree with her but I think, I, I remember, and I actually went to a speech and heard her say that, and I thought, is that it? Right, I picked yeah. Prince Charming and then we live happily <laughs> ever after. You yeah. know, that was just not my experience. And it wasn't the experience of anyone around us. And I think Sandberg was onto something when she said, when she said that. But in my, in my work, I've realized the work is not the work of picking. The work is what happens after you pick, right? Ooh, How do we invest in the relationship? Yes. And how do we make the relationship work? And I think this idea of this kind of almost this Disney princess idea of, of partnerships that we find Prince Charming and it's so important we find the right one. And sometimes I'll talk to young women and they'll say, I have this checklist and you have to, you know, tick all these boxes. And I'm like, that's not going to help. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he could tick half those boxes and you could still have a perfect relationship. Right. And he could tick all those boxes and it could be a disaster. But I think as a society, our, our sort of narratives have really got around this idea that it's about finding the one. Mm. And if you have to invest or work on your relationship, then you maybe you didn't pick the right one. Yeah. And my research has shown exactly the opposite. Right. Of course, it's nice to pick someone you're in love with. That's, that's a given. But it's all about how much you work on and invest in the relationship. And I would say 
it's it's a problem if you're not doing that it's not a problem if you are doing that oh I'm so pleased that you said that because yeah I'd never really thought about it but it's true you can have that person that is very supportive and does all of that but it's true it's like it's after you've made that decision and I see that very much in the dynamic in my marriage my husband is very supportive of me growing this business as far as I want to take it but then you know he still has his dreams and his hopes and things like so it doesn't just end there there's still so much kind of negotiating and back and forth and you know now we're also parents that lay that adds another layer into the mix and it's this constant back and forth it's not okay now it's a one and done and that's why I love in the book that you really walk people through you identified these kind of three transitions um, to show that it is this kind of living dynamic and I think that's really important you point out because and I don't think of it in terms of work I think of it in terms of investment like if we think about our careers you wouldn't think twice about the need to invest in our careers in an ongoing nature whether that's taking time to think about what we want whether that's some kind of training or reorientation or whether that's some kind of visioning right what's the vision for my career but when we talk about that language in terms of our relationships, most people look with a blank face. <laughs> yeah. And yet it's, you know, it's not necessarily hard work. It's not, it's, not, it's not painful to do this investment in our relationship, but it's completely necessary. And we do it in our careers. So why would we not do it in our relationships? It is so true. I was watching um, a YouTube video from this guy. He's a financial expert. And he was saying that he did these kind of, you know, psychometric tests and he scored really high for like the entrepreneurship, the money, the, that side, and really poorly for marriage and family. Mm-hmm. And he it inspired him to go on this whole journey of like really getting his marriage in a really great place. And he was realizing that what he needed to do was take some of the principles that made him successful in business into his relationship. So he was saying things like he's always looking for mentorship, whether that is actually having a mentor or reading books or being around people that are kind of operating at the place that he wants to go to in his business. Yeah. And he started to bring some of those principles to his marriage and he says that his marriage has never been better, but we, it's true. And we I, don't think of it in the same way. And I bet his career has become better because his marriage is better. And this is where I think we make the mistake that we separate the domains and think we, we want to be good in both. Of course we want to be good in both. But what a lot of people don't realize is if you're good in both, you get positive spillover across the domains. So if both are going well, then our career goes even better and our relationship goes even better. So we see these kind of virtuous cycles that can develop if we're investing in both domains. So I wonder when you started doing these research, did you have any kind of preconceived notions about what you were going to find before you kind of went down that rabbit hole? Yeah, and now I look back and think I was so naive. (laughs) I think, um, you know, when I started off, the really the one question I had was, what is the arrangement that can make this work, right? There's got to be a kind of hack. And if we can find it, we can all do it and we'll be fine. And I remember about two years, two, three years into the research, by that time I'd studied, I don't know, 70, 80 couples. And it was really confusing because there were all sorts of arrangements that could work 
and the very kind of same arrangements could be a total disaster. So there were couples who were real 50-50 couples. There was one in which, you know, the woman took the lead, others in which the men took the lead, others who were very stable and always lived in the same place, others who moved around a lot. And all these things could work really well and all of them could be absolutely awful. And, um, and you know, it surprised me initially, and now I understand, of course, I understand it from doing more research because I thought there's gotta be kind of a quote unquote solution. But really what I found was it was not about what couples chose to do. It was the way in which they made those choices, which made the difference. Mm. And so there was a solution per se, but it, the solution was not about the, the choice. It was about the way of making that choice. And particularly at these three transition points that the book is really based on, which is, you know, what I found is that working couples, it's not challenging all the time, right? It, it, it can, we can have very smooth periods and challenging periods. And there are three periods in particular which are really challenging for, for working couples. And this is what I talk about, there's the three transitions in the book. And the way that couples invest in each other and work through those transitions really makes the difference to whether they thrive or whether they don't. So what were some of those? Yeah, so maybe we focus on the first transition for a little yeah. bit because the first transition is one we all go through. And okay. I imagine it's one that you're in the middle of it. <laughs> many of your listeners will be in the middle of it. And if yeah. they're not, they'll remember it. <laughs> because the first transition comes in the early stages of our relationship. And I'm not talking about the first few months. I'm talking about the first time as a couple, we face some hard choices. And this tends to coincide with a life event. So it might be the arrival of a baby, right? We've been having these lovely parallel tracks where our careers have been going <laughs> along and we just have this beautiful relationship on top. What's not to like, right? But that doesn't continue, right? We have a baby and suddenly we need to figure out how do we combine all this together and make it work. It might be a really great career opportunity. So let's say you get offered a super opportunity to grow your business in the US, right? What do you do? Do you go? Does he, does he or, you know, does your partner follow? Do you go your separate ways? Do you try and commute? Again, it's something that's a really hard choice. For couples who get together later in life, it might be around, do we blend families from previous relationships? All of these points when we get there, and all couples eventually get there, to one of these crossroads, it essentially brings up the question, you know, how can we make it work? How can we structure our lives in a way that we can both pursue our career goals and have a decent relationship along the way? And um, on one hand, it sounds quite a straightforward question, right? It sounds a, a practical question, one that we could sit down with an Excel spreadsheet and kind of figure out logistics, childcare, all these things. But anyone who's in the middle of it, and I'm sure you relate to this, <laughs> yes. it's not that simple, yeah. you know, and if it were that simple, we could just sync our Google calendars and, and do our <laughs> Excel spreadsheets and we'd all be fine. But we know it's not that simple and it's not that simple because the question of how really to combine our lives is not a practical question. It's a question of power, right? Who has the power to choose and where does this power dynamic lie within our couple? And the couples who do really well in the first transition are the couples who focus on that level and really try and work through how do we maintain a rough balance of power? I mean, there's no such thing as perfect 50-50 marriage, right? That's a, that's a fantasy. But it's how do we roughly balance the power? And when I talk about power in couples, I mean, who gets a shot 
at pursuing their dreams, whatever they may be, right? So they might be very specific creative dreams. I want to launch a business. Um, it might, you know, I want to go up the hierarchy. It might also be more general life dreams. I want enough time to do X or I want us to build a certain type of family. So if you think of yourself with a new baby, I'm sure you've had discussions around what kind of parents do we want to be, right? Do we want to be an adventurous family that you know travels all the time and shows the kids the world? Do we want to be a kind of a really close-knit family who's embedded in our community? All of these things are goals. And, and the couples who can really understand each other's dreams and goals and then work to make sure that both partners get most of what they want, right? It's impossible that we all get all of what we want, but there feels like there's a balance that, you know, you get a shot at most of the things you want and I get a shot at most of the things I want. They're the couples that do really well. And when couples figure out that stuff, then we can layer the practicalities on top. Then we can worry about childcare, we can worry about logistics, finances, all that sort of stuff. But unless we've figured out those priorities, we cannot crack the practicalities. So just with that first transition, um, I know that there's going to be lots of people listening that are going to be resonating a lot with that, but then not knowing how they can take that and start that conversation. Yeah. What does that even look like? (laughs) Yeah. So um, it's a really great question. And the way you framed it is perfect. It's how you start that conversation because it's not a one-off conversation, right? It's, if you like, the habit of having these conversations, um, of talking about this stuff. So there's really three things we need to talk about in our couples to, to, to make sure we have this balance of power. The first is being very explicit with each other of what is it that matters to us most. You know, if you like the yardsticks by which we're going to measure our lives. So there's, and there's probably a few of them for you. There might be a career goal, you know, launching a company or growing a company. There might be some personal goals. There might be joint family goals. It's really important that we understand exactly what we need to be supported in and what our partner wants support in. Because very often when I find found couples that were struggling, I found that it wasn't because they weren't supporting each other. It was because they weren't clear what it was they were supporting, Mm, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's really important to be explicit because we make all these assumptions that, well, of course he knows this is what, or of course she knows this is what I want to do. You know, I've always wanted to do this, but we never say it, right? And, uh, you know, our partners are not mind readers. <laughs> they don't know unless you say it. And likewise, we make a lot of assumptions about what our partners want. But these things evolve over time. And unless we're talking about them, we don't really know what we're aiming for as a couple. And, and this is, I mean, it sounds so basic, but it's incredible how few couples really have these explicit conversations ongoing. Now, it's not about talking about it every night, right? That would be a little <laughs> bit much. <laughs> But nor is it about talking about it once every five years, right? It's about, you know, two or three times a year, um, you know, on anniversary, whatever it is, just checking in around these things. So that's the first important thing, because if we know what we're aiming for, decision making becomes a lot easier, right? If there's an opportunity that comes up, which doesn't align with one of these things we want, why would you take it, right? Why would we do that? Yeah. And isn't it, I guess, going even one step back, it's about us having that being crystal clear as an individual so you can bring that level of clarity to your relationship because I realized that that's one of the mistakes that I had like we I've just moved back to New York and 
I was really unhappy when I, I first got here and my husband Michael was confused because it's like you wanted to be back in New York it's great for business it's good he was and I was unsure and I realized that actually coming back to the city now with the baby was so different to me just yeah. kind of flittering around Manhattan as a you know as, as a single person oh, yeah. now you know being close to family is more important to me than the yeah. opportunities that come with being here yeah I, I needed I, to know I, that first I agree although I think it's a very high bar to say we need to be crystal clear with what we want because yeah. you know there's so I'm sure many of your listeners <laughs> are like oh my god I'm not crystal clear am I doomed true no you're true. not doomed yeah but I think so I think it's about recognizing very few people are really really crystal clear on everything but almost all of us have a sense of the direction we want to go in and so I think it's, and sometimes what stops us having these conversations is this feeling that, well, I'm not 100% sure, so I better not say anything. Yeah. That's, that's really dangerous. Because and I, I also think if we have these ongoing conversations, it's like, I'm thinking about this, and then it becomes clearer, and we can feel our partner gravitating towards something. Yeah, that's true. By virtue of just having the conversation, exactly. you're kind of like walking through it in your mind, true. Yeah, yeah. So that's really the first area is, is building this idea of what is it we're going for and therefore, you know, what are we supporting each other achieving? Yeah. The next thing is um, what are the lines we're not going to cross together? Mm. And um, this is so important because we tend to think that more choice is better, but actually it's completely the opposite. We know from decades, decades of research that the more choice we have the harder it is to choose and the more likely we are to regret our choices and we know now that the modern woman has more choices than any other generation of women has ever had and on the one hand that's great but it can make us either choose too many things and burn out or choose the wrong things and having these conversations with your partner around what are these lines we're not going to cross? Now, it might be geographic, right? Um, so let's take you as an example. You know, the East Coast is in, but the West Coast is outside our lines. I don't know yeah. whether that's the line for you, but for example, yeah. it might be around work travel, right? How much work travel is just not going to be sustainable in our couple? It could be about time together, you know, is living apart outside or inside our lines, right? That's different for different couples. The reason it's really important to negotiate, and this is where you do need to be crystal clear, like is living apart in or out, right? This is a decision point. The reason this is really helpful is it, it essentially marks the field on which we're going to play, right? What is the playing field we're playing on? And if an opportunity comes up on a different field, if an opportunity comes up on the West Coast, or which is 70% travel, it's simply a no. And this is really important because very, very often where regret and resentment comes into couples, it comes in because someone has pursued an opportunity that they have eventually had to let go of. Yes. And, and if you know the boundaries beforehand, you never pursue that opportunity. So let me give you, you know, give you an, a, a geographic example. Very often when people are early in their careers, they're, they're a bit more flexible, you know, with, um, with location. And when the job market is good, we can think, okay, I'm just going to apply for a load of stuff and let's see what comes back in. But we know that it's very rare for us to see a job advertisement 
and be completely in love with that job. We fall in love as we go through the job application process. So if we've already decided the West Coast is off, we just ignore those options. We're not going to have huge regrets because we've not gone into the company, met our future boss, all that sort of stuff, got excited about it. Yeah. But if we've already gone down that trail and got the offer and then find out we can't accept it, that's when bad things happen in relationships. Yeah. And this is why it's so important to, you know, really limit our choices based on some criteria that are important to us. How do you navigate that with compassion? Because there are going to be things where you think that's just a no-go zone, but your yeah. partner doesn't. It's, it's a good question. So what I find in my research is there are very, there are some things, but there are very few things where you can't find some kind of compromise. The, the clear things which aren't, as for example, children, if one of you really want children and the other is adamant that's not going to happen, you know, maybe that's not a relationship you want to get into. And I say this in all seriousness, and you know, it's interesting, when I was writing the book, I was working with um, my editor, and she showed the book to a few of her colleagues in the publishing house. And one of her colleagues got really into it and had these conversations with her boyfriend and they actually decided to break up exactly oh, wow. because of this issue. And, you know, and I, t I spoke to her afterwards and she said, you know, at the time I was like, oh, I wish I hadn't read that book. <laughs> but she said, now I'm so grateful because imagine, yeah. imagine five years down the line, this comes up you know, she's early 30s, she's, you know, by that time she's mid-late 30s and they cannot agree. She's like, you know, we, we parted very amicably and now she's got a new boyfriend, everything's great. But I think there are a couple of things, that being one of them. I think another one are if one person has a real clear idea of where home is and for the other person that doesn't wash, right? Oh, so if one yeah. person <laughs> is adamant, oh no, am I hitting close to But if one person is really adamant that, you know, it, it's this place or die. So I remember one couple I spoke to and he was from um, the Australian outback. I, this is not an exaggeration, like real Australian outback. And he had made a commitment to his family that he would go back and take over the family farm. Like, and this for him, there was nothing was stopping him going back on this commitment. And they got, and they met in London. And at this point he's an investment banker and she's in HR and you know, they met, they fell in love and they were about to get married and they had to have real serious conversations because he was like, I am going back to Western Australia. I am becoming a sheep farmer, a huge commercial farm. I don't want it to sound like a sort of Beverly Hillbillies thing. And, you know, they went through a real serious conversation, you know, is, you know, given how important that is, is this in or out? Like, is it possible or not? So there are a few things, but most other things can be negotiated some common ground can be found i want to quickly pause this episode to let you know that our 12-month thrive mastermind is officially open friends scaling a business doesn't need to feel overwhelming nor should it feel like a strain that's why over the years i've worked with countless service-based female founders just like you to scale the work they love while increasing their impact and income in a way that allows them to be fully present in their lives in Thrive, we support you to step into the CEO role of your business. 
how? By helping you transition out of being the bottleneck by getting crystal clear on the high leverage activities you're uniquely positioned to do while providing you with a framework to automate and delegate the rest. So Thrive is for you if you know you're suffering from analysis paralysis and you're battling with limiting beliefs that you know are holding you back from taking consistent action but are ready to lean in and do the inner work. It is for you if you're overwhelmed with information and done trying to figure out everything on your own and you want support from a mentor who's been there and can help you build a profitable business that actually feels good and expansive to run. Thrive is for you if you're fed up with inconsistency in your income and are ready to consistently attract clients you love working with and want to surround yourself with people who encourage you to up level, who truly get you and are just as committed to growing as you are. So doors only open a few times a year and we have limited spots. So head to the lifestyleedit.com to learn more. And that's what I love that you said in the book that it's not just about always having things that are equal or you have your thing and I have mine. So much of relationships is that give or take. And Michael and I have had the same thing where it's like this time in this area, it's, you know, I'm supporting you in doing that. Now it's my time. It's so it's not always going to be that everyone has their preferences at the same time. Exactly. And I, but I also think it's important. It does not become tit for tat. Yeah. Right? You were your way last time. And that was my <laughs> turn. That's, that's a hiding to nothing. I, I, so I think there's a balance, but yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, a relationship is, it, it is give and take. And it's also, you know, we both need to move somehow towards the middle, if I can put it that way. You know, it, it, I think it's a reasonable expectation of our partners that we should change in some way for them. You know, when, when we say, oh, my partner should just accept me exactly as I am, that's naive, right? Of course we should shift a little and so should they. And the negotiation in a couple is, you know, what is my shifting range, if I can put it that way. What <laughs> I like is, that. What is too much shift? And, and also accept that shifting is not a sacrifice. Shifting is what it means to be in a relationship. Shifting is what it means to be in love, right? It's not, oh, I'm in love and I'm going to sacrifice and shift. No. Shifting yeah. is the definition of love, essentially. Um, and if you want to benefit from love, you better buck up and shift. And the negotiation in a couple is where, you know, what is that zone of shifting? I love that. Have you got any examples? Because I know that you've lived this yourself for this first transition and how you have kind of been able to transition into that next stage successfully. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I'll give two examples. I mean, one for us was, um, you know, we had two children in very quick succession. So they're 16 months apart. Crazy first two years for anyone who's planning that. But they're best friends now, so it's really paid off. And... Um, and we're both professionally ambitious, but we had to do a lot of work around how, how are we going to manage that and what do we really want? And, you know, at that time it was, I, I did want to spend time with the kids when they were little and I also didn't want to give up on my career. So we spent a lot of work around really shifting both of our ideas around what does it mean to be parents in a working couple and how, you know, how do we bring up the kids while keeping our relationship going? 
And so I worked four days a week, actually, until our second child was two and a half, three, and she, in fact, she go to school at two and a half. Great. Um, until she started full-time school. And that really worked for us. And, it, and you know what's interesting, but because we negotiated it from the perspective of what we both wanted, it didn't feel like a sacrifice. It felt like a choice we really wanted to make. Um, and so that was important. And I think it's something that will probably resonate with many of your listeners is we're in a cross-cultural relationship. And for us, that means national culture. My, my husband's Italian, but I think most of us are actually in cross-cultural relationships i.e. the culture of our partner's family is different from the culture of our own family. So even if you're both British or both American, I bet most people listening are in a cross-cultural relationship. And we did a lot of work on how we manage those boundaries because Mm. a lot of tension we know comes up. I mean, it's Thanksgiving this week, right, in the US tomorrow. (laughs) At Thanksgiving, at Christmas, at those, you know, what do you do for the summer holidays? And... And I think, you know, we spent a lot of time working through how, what do we want in our nuclear family um, that will work with our careers, but that also respects the very different cultures, um, the very, very different cultures of our families. And I think that's work that probably almost all couples could do with doing even if they're not in such a stark cross-cultural relationship as mine you know we all have different cultures of our families I love that you gave those examples because I wouldn't even have thought of that family dynamic and that is so important and, and it I has think, such a big impact and it has and it's not just an impact on our relationship it hugely impacts our careers yeah. right what is the cultural expectation of your partner's family vis-a-vis your career mm. especially for women is a huge question And it has a huge impact on your career. Um, Okay, so that's transition number one. What is that next transition then? So transition number two is really related to career phase, not to relationship phase. And transition two tends to come around mid-career. So if we think to our 20s and 30s, they're decades when we're striving really hard, right? We're building our career, we're building our business, we're building relationship. Some of us are building families as well. And the path we take in those early decades is always, always a mix of what we really want and social expectations. So, you know, our peers are all flocking into this industry, so we follow, you know, our parents, I don't know, did a degree in engineering, so they sort of pushed us subtly in that direction. And these social expectations, they're not necessarily bad things, right? They come from people who love us, who want the best for us. And in our 20s and 30s, many of us craft a decent path. But almost always by mid-career, we start to question that path and feel like, "Mm, is this this really what I want is what it comes down to? Now, very often this starts as little kind of niggling questions like, I'm not sure about this career or maybe my business isn't quite going in the right direction and very often it it quickly spirals down to these existential questions right what do I really want from life what's my direction and where am I going and this can be very challenging for couples for two reasons one is you're both in it together right you're both struggling with these existential questions and they can be really quite destabilizing psychologically right there's a lot of emotions that rides on them when we're feeling this it can almost feel like the ground is falling away under our feet right we've built all these things and they look good and suddenly we're questioning the foundation of our lives 
And it's also really tough for couples because when we see our partners wrestling with these questions, it's very hard not to interpret them as an issue about our relationship. Yeah. So if my partner is not happy, they're questioning things, is that my fault? Like, did I do something wrong? Did I not support them? Are they unhappy in the relationship? And very often couples can unwittingly get themselves into a negative spiral here where, you know, I start to feel defensive, then I act defensively, then my partner withdraws and becomes more secretive. And I mean, this is the path to hell, right, in a relationship. And so it's a really tough time for partners. But what we need to do to get through this transition is something that's quite counterintuitive for us if we're feeling in this kind of wobbly, unstable place. So if we're feeling wobbly and unstable, we crave a comfort zone, right? Um, But what we really need to get past this transition is to get out there and explore and experiment with different paths because this this art of transitioning is a contact sport, right? You cannot sit in a cave and meditate on it and decide a way forward. When it comes to these big structural life transitions, we need to get out there, we need to talk to people, we need to network, we need to, you know, shadow people in jobs, we need to do all sorts of things to gather data and figure out what is the real path forward for us. And that's quite the opposite of being in our comfort zone. And this is where the support structure of couples really comes in. Because couples who do well at this stage flick their model of support. Now, if we think of in the first transition or in general, what does a good supportive relationship look like? I'll use a British analogy at this point. We we tend to think of tea and sympathy. Like this is a good relationship if my partner, you know, plumps up my self-esteem and tells me I'm great. And if something happens, oh, it's the world's problem. You're wonderful and you'll be fine. (laughs) And, And who doesn't like this? It's lovely, this kind of support. It's absolutely wonderful. It's exactly what we don't need to get us through a big life transition because what this support does mm. is keeps us in that comfort zone, right? And this yes. is where things go wrong. The kind of support we need in this transition is still support that's you know nice, but is is actually not a pulling close. It's a pushing away. Mm. So instead of pulling me close and saying, "Don't worry, it'll be fine. Ignore the questions. Everything will be okay." <laughs> It's the kind of support that's like, okay, I hear your struggle. If you're wrestling with it, then get out there and explore. Get out there and experiment. Get out there and do something about it. Get out there and take risks. So it's actually a push away from the relationship, which is very hard to do if I'm feeling wobbly and uncertain about my partner. It's a little bit counterintuitive, right? I want to pull them close. But the best thing I can do is, is push them away. And I don't mean that in a nasty way. I mean that in a loving way. Yeah, let them spread this, their wings. and yeah. yeah. And this is what I talk about in the book, This what we call psychologically a secure base. And a secure base, and you'll know this, um, I mean, you have a young child. When our children are feeling secure, they don't stay close to us. They move away. Yeah. So you, you, you know, when you're at the playground <laughs> with the other parents, the kids who are feeling safe and secure will be on the other side of the playground to their parents. The kids who are feeling anxious will be holding on to the skirt of their, you know, their <laughs> mom or holding on to their dad's trousers. Yeah. It's exactly the same in our relationships. Relationships which are really strong are not relationships in which the partners are joined at the hip. 
They're relationships where there's a very strong emotional bond. And what that bond does is it allows each partner to move away from the other and take Mm. risks and then come back to that base of the relationship. And when couples can develop that in the second transition, they do really well. Now, what do I mean by really well? I mean, they figure out the path that's their own. So they can often make a very developmental and growthful career move. And often they have a period of huge renewal in their relationship as well. And when I saw this, I found it was was really hopeful, partly because I'm at the stage now, so I was like, there's hope. Um, (laughs) Partly because we sometimes think of relationships as, as growing stale over time. And that does not have to be the case. You know, I saw so many couples who were in this mid, you know, in this mid-career stage who were like, like two 17-year-olds in love, you know, like all over each other because of this renewal, which is made possible by this shift in support in our relationship, which also enables us to have these really exciting career transitions at this stage. It's so true. Michael and I've had that and he's now doing lots of exciting projects on his own and just seeing him happy and engaged and connecting with new people. He then brings that energy to us. And I think there's nothing more, there's nothing sexier. There's nothing more engaging than seeing your partner, like step back into that zone where they're just really excited about absolutely and it's really interesting so if you look at desire in relationships when do we most desire our partners it's not when we have them really close to us it's when we can almost see them from afar we see them give that presentation we see them at that networking event talking to other people and being like the center of attention we see them at you know a dinner party with friends talking animatedly about their work That is when we desire our partners the most. It's when we see them in their element. Um, And that's what can really be regained in this transition. I'm going to be devil's advocate here. There will be people who are having the other side where one person in the relationship is now, is they met them in a specific way. So many people listening here are entrepreneurs. So it could be that your partner met you when you were in corporate and you were very much one way. Now you've quit your job, you're going off, you're meeting new people. Now it's not very nine to five. You're working all hours, you know, all hours God sends to kind of get your business. You're so engaged, you're so exciting. And they're thinking, this wasn't really what I signed up to because it's, you know, completely different. How do you navigate that? Yeah, it's a really good question. And what it speaks to is this dynamic when, and it's not it's not about success per se as in objective success, but when one person's career is, is going in a good direction, a really good direction, and the other person's perhaps isn't. And this is very, very common, right? And, and often it swaps between us. So you might be in a phase of growth and excitement and things are going well and you're getting new clients, and your partner is stuck with a bad boss who's driving them up the wall. Um, you know, or maybe they've been laid off or all these things. And, and it's really tough emotionally in couples. And the couples that can get through this are couples who do two things simultaneously. And it's really important to think about these as a pair. Because what's happening at that moment in the couple is one is you're on polar opposites, right? One's experienced this real high and one's experienced the real low. And the partners who do, the couples who do well are couples who 
recognize and very explicitly acknowledge both sides of that polarity. Now, what does that mean? What couples tend to do is they get stuck in one. So they'll either, either the person who's doing really well will feel like they have to hide or play down their excitement and their success mm. to save the other person's ego, right? And actually, many of us will do this without our partner asking us to do it. We'll think, oh, I don't want to, you know, I know they're having a hard time. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to say about that great deal I sealed today. I'll just say it was kind of an okay day. The problem when we don't celebrate success is that the person who's in that position at that moment becomes to feel unseen. Right? And we know that what we want more than anything else in our relationship is to be seen for and, you know, acknowledged for where we are. It's really dangerous. And many couples fall into that trap. The other side of the coin is couples that fall into the opposite trap, where they just focus on the success and brush the difficulties under the carpet. Oh, you'll be fine. You'll bounce back. It'll be OK. Mm. Not very reassuring. The couples who do really well are couples who can, first of all, acknowledge that they're in this position today, but two years later, those tables may be switched. So it's not that, you know, you're always going to be the one who's in the great position, but it's couples who can do both celebrate the success and really acknowledge the difficulty, not just saying it's going to get better, but really talking it through. And I know you're having a tough time. Let's talk it through and supporting it. And couples who can do both sides of that coin can really manage very big differences in I say success but I don't necessarily mean monetary success you know what I'm saying but in terms of sort of psychological well-being in our careers and I and you know I think um you know for your listeners who are a little bit older in their 40s and 50s they'll know very well the tables always eventually shift right <laughs> it's natural in our uncertain careers these days especially when you're founding and running your own business there'll be exceptional years and there'll also be years that are really really tough um and you know if you're on the younger end of the spectrum it may feel like oh, oh we may be stuck in this dynamic forever it's very unlikely that will happen you know, and that's why it's important for couples to develop this capacity to, you know, hold both sides of that continuum. Yeah, it's, it goes back to what you were saying. It's all about this, you know, shift in power, the dynamics, um, because even just in talking about this transition, I had many friends, peers, fellow female entrepreneurs who have had a lot of great success in their businesses and their husbands have even now left their jobs because they can see that the scalability of this business yeah. it just doesn't make sense and they've either joined the business or they now are the primary caregivers in the home and again it's 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 a, it's an interesting time because that wasn't the dynamic that they were that they started yeah. their relationships with and now what for many of them what the women they loved it in the beginning but then they realized actually they loved their husbands when they were out there and excited and what seemed like a really great idea now they're like you know why aren't you as ambitious as I am and why aren't you yeah 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 and it becomes a really interesting dynamic and I think we don't realize that like how is our relation how are we growing together as these changes in our professional lives are happening and I think that is the difficulty when we polarize so much that one of us takes on all the work and one of us takes on all of the um 
all of the family and life responsibilities because the reality is almost all men and women today have a parity of ambition level. So men and women have equal ambition for careers and equal ambition to invest at home. And, um, and it's actually quite rare for those ambitions to differ. And I think the danger when, now it's fine for us to enact those in different ways. So you really go for goals in your career and your partner just has a slower pace, that's fine. But things tend to really upset in couples when one person completely lets go of one of those sides. Mm. Whether it's that I'm so into my career, I don't get any time for the family, or whether it's I'm just gonna give up on my career because the other person's career is going so well. Because yeah. the reality is we do not just do go into careers for money. Yeah. Right. So even if your partner is has grown the business to be hundreds of millions and you don't need to work at all, well, that's not the only reason you're working, right? We go into yeah. work for community, for meaning, for a sense of growth, for development. There's all these reasons we work which are not economic at all. And I think sometimes people make these real life-changing decisions based on well now I'm making this much money it really doesn't make sense for you to work well no because work is really not about the economics for most of us oh that's so true and so it's and and it's not and it but it's also not about us both having hugely big careers where we're you know going full pelt the whole time right yeah. that, that's not what's required but it's about saying you know Sigmund Freud, one of his famous sayings is, love and work are the cornerstones of our humanity. The cornerstone, it's what makes us human, right? Is our ability to love and our compulsion to work. And I think there is something, for those of us who are passionate about both, there's something a little bit dehumanizing about giving up completely on one of those aspects, whichever one it is you know we all need some level of balance and that's not about i don't mean about 50 50. yeah but, um you know this is what makes us human oh i love this jennifer thank you final transition yeah transition three <laughs> transition three comes really later when our social roles are changing so it's a time when we are no longer the up and coming bright young high potentials in our organizations. We're very established in our careers. If we've had um, a family, our, our children are probably leaving home by this point, they're flying the nest. And, um, and this transition is really about the identity questions that come out at this time, like, who am I now? Yes. I'm not the active parent. I'm not the bright young thing in the organization. I remember one guy said to me, I, knew, I know I'd got to this transition because I went for a promotion and I realized my competitor was my protege who was 10 years younger than me. Right? Huge shock. <laughs> and so this transition is really about purpose, right? What do I want to do with the rest of my time? In, I'm talking about my career time. And it's really interesting because on the one hand, there's this sense of loss, right? I'm no longer this active parent. I'm no longer this bright young thing. And at the same time, it's a time of immense opportunity in a way that no other generation have had. So why is that? One is we're living a lot longer. So our career spans are a lot longer. So in the past, when we reached this point, we were essentially on the down ramp to retirement. Right? <laughs> yeah. five, five years later, we were getting the gold watch. <laughs> so it wasn't really, we, we knew what we were doing for the next 
Now we could have 10, 15, even 20 years of our career left. At the same time, because people are having children later, grandparenting duties are a long way off, right? So we're kind of free of free from parenting grandparent responsibilities. We've still got a way to go in our career. If we've been prudent with money, we've probably a little, little bit more financial freedom than we've had in the past. And we have enormous more time freedom. And at the same time, the career structures have changed. So again, if we rewind to the past generation, by that stage, you would be, have been with an organization for 30, 40 years, and you'd be winding down to the gold watch. Now, there's all kinds of options. There's the gig economy, there's freelancing, there's portfolio careers, there's entrepreneurship on the side, there's a mixed careers with voluntary work and corporate careers. There's so many options that no other generation have enjoyed in the past. And they're options that it's much, they're much easier for us to take at that stage of life than, let's say, at my stage. So I'm mid-40s, you know, two kids in school, um, you know, parents who, who you know, aging parents, all these responsibilities. You know, the risk for me of taking on a portfolio career at this stage, extremely high. Yeah. The risk in 10 years' time, a lot lower. Yeah. And so suddenly we're at this point where, yes, there's this feeling of loss, but there's this huge broadening of opportunities so it's a time when couples really need to think through okay things have really shifted and who are we now and who do we want to become for this latter stage of our career mm. and it tends to be a time when couples can make very inventive transitions now unlike the second transition which tends to be a from a to b transition you know i, I was this and i've shifted to this this third transition tends to be from B to C, D, and E together, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I am I'm taking on some volunteering. I'm also, you know, doing some freelancing. I'm also doing this. And it's a hugely exciting time. And, um, and if you think about it, for, for those of us who are, you, you know, your stage and my stage, if we can get through a day when we've kept in mind our career, our relationship, and our family, it's a major achievement. <laughs> Yes. We collapse into bed, exhausted, get up the next day and repeat. And, you know, we have these dreams of, well, well, one day I will serve on a not-for-profit board or one day I'll do some volunteering. But the reality of our, of our lives is it's not happening now. It's impossible. Well, by our third transition, that is suddenly possible. So we can broaden our horizons from career, family, relationship to career, family, relationship, legacy, volunteering, um, you know, interests, family, friends, all these other things. And so, and the generation that are hitting that phase now really have this golden opportunity that no other generation has had before them. So it's very exciting, this third transition. It is. I'm just even seeing it with my mum. She has all of her kids out. Everybody's yeah. kind of busy with her grandkids. And she's just like, stepping into her power in the most beautiful way she's just running for parliament she's doing like all of these awesome stuff that she's always wanted to do yeah. but has always had the kids to focus on it's just like it's never the right time it's never the right time and now yeah. it's just like it's hers for the taking which as her child is just so like incredible to see it is incredible to see and it also gives us a picture of there's life later on <laughs> completely yeah which when you're in the thick of it it's nice to be able to see that yeah 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 oh I this is I could talk to you about this for hours I just find it so fascinating um 
any final thoughts for somebody who's like, okay, I can see that this is definitely something that I want to introduce into my relationship. Um, any, th- any tips that you can give, especially this is such a great time of year at the end of the year um, about yeah, how people so- can actually start to embody some of the things that they've learned today. Yeah, so I think the the biggest tip is the time is now, right? It all it takes is you know put the kids to bed if you have them, make a cup of tea, pour a glass of wine, snuggle up on the sofa, and just start exploring these things. It's not rocket science; it's just conversations that most of us don't have very often. But they're conversations that I think we all crave. You know, who doesn't want to talk about what we really want from life? Who doesn't want to understand how we can best support our partners? This is not some kind of crazy psychological rocket science, and I need a PhD in psychology to understand it. This is really just those fundamental questions in conversations and developing the habit of having them. And that starts today. Is there a way to get spouses on board who are not necessarily inclined to be thinking future? Because I know there's going to be lots of people here that are like, yeah, I'm into all of this, like thinking about what I want, you know, going for it, having an aligned vision. But, you know, my spouse is is more kind of what's in front of me today. Yeah, so a couple of things. One is we make big assumptions about our spouses, which are not always correct. So keep your assumptions in check. Um, And secondly, is it doesn't have to be, this is not some huge future planning um, enterprise. Like let's imagine where we are in 10 years time. It's because that can feel really scary. It's like, oh God, no, too much is going on today. I just need to focus on the today. And And I get that. This is about like, okay, given where we are today, what are the things that are exciting you? What are, you know, what are the things you're enjoying doing? What would you change about our lives right now? What are the, some of the things which aren't working well? These are all very gentle ways into the conversation, but it's not about talking about who does the childcare pickups, right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, much more, it's much more on that level of what really matters to us. Yeah. And in my experience, everyone wants to have those conversations now maybe to a different level and maybe a different frequency but I've never met anyone who's like no not interested you know um you know I've said and I'm one of those people if someone says what do you want to be doing in 15 years time I have no idea don't ask me that question (laughs) (laughs) so you know I think it's about you know tempering our expectations and it's about this shifting right and meeting our partner in the middle somewhere you know, they may not want to do a 30-year plan, and that is fine. <laughs> All you're asking is to meet somewhere in the middle, which is, if, if I can bore it down to one thing, it's what really matters to you and how are we going to make sure that happens? Oh. Right? And it might be, as it might, I mean, I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, you know what? I just really want some time to learn Mandarin. Um, and it. that's great. Yeah, That's great. How are you going to make that work in your couple? Oh, this has been so good. Jennifer, how can people continue to learn from you, pick up the book, all of that good stuff? Yeah, so the book is called Couples That Work and they'll find it on Amazon or all of the all of the good bookstores. Um, and you can also look at all the other things I've written, the TV shows and everything on my website, which is www.jpetrolieri.com. And I'm guessing you will put that on your website. <laughs> I, I know my do. surname is a nightmare <laughs> to spell. I will put that all in the show notes. 
Great. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you. So that's it for this week's episode of the Lifestyle Edit podcast. You can download more episodes of this podcast and subscribe in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you enjoyed what you heard, we would love a review or recommendation. It's the number one way for us to share these stories and insights with as many creative female entrepreneurs as possible. And don't forget, all the information on how to join the TLE community is in the show notes or simply head to thelifestyleedit.com to sign up.